But first, do lockdowns work? Let's see what's happening in Florida first. While so many other states kept locking people down, Florida lifted people up. We believe every job is essential. If you work in a restaurant, we have your back. If you are a hairstylist, we protect your right to earn a living. And if you are a parent, we ensure your kids have the right to attend school in person. Lockdowns do not work. Wow. You know, that's quite a statement. And that's the governor of Florida speaking about lockdowns. Every day we get calls here on CKNW saying, you know, lockdowns don't work or they do work or, but looking at Florida and Texas, they're, and they've been wide open and are doing a better job than actually Ontario and Alberta, which are currently in pretty much full lockdown. So to get the bottom on why Florida is doing so well, we're joined by a doctor that actually works in that state. And is, and is the answer really that lockdowns are ineffective? Joining me is Dr. Thomas Unash. Hello, Dr. Thomas Unash, how are you? Hello, I'm doing fine. Good morning to you guys out there. Thank you. It's counterintuitive. I mean, I don't understand why. Why is everything seem to be working in Florida, uh, whereas we have in BC, in Canada, in certainly Ontario and Alberta, and sometimes in Quebec, uh, full lockdowns, and it doesn't. And, and you're certainly in the states as well. Why is are things working in Florida when it doesn't seem to make, follow the stream? Of, well, well we first follow? of all, I like to point out that uh, we're, we're talking about uh, relative working here. Okay. Um, if you actually look at the uh, daily case numbers, uh, the two states that led yesterday were Florida and Texas, the two states that you, in the United right. States, in terms of daily case number increases. Um, Florida's rate of infection for a seven-day average right now is uh, <clears throat> just about uh, one uh, person per 100,000 less than what it is in Canada at the moment. Um, so uh, the answer is uh, the reason that things are looking so much better in Florida is not that they're really looking that much better than they are in Canada. It's that things were so much worse here in January, in uh, mm-hmm. December and January than they were elsewhere. So it all depends on your point of view. I suppose. But this, right? this yeah. weather, I mean, there are some things that have well, an impact. There are things that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, but I'd like, but one of the important things to know here is that a lockdown will work, but it's just like carpet bombing a city to destroy a factory, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really... Overreaction, uh, and the reason that we did that originally, or that you know uh, that it was recommended, was that when this thing first started to develop about 15 months ago, we really didn't understand how it was transmitted or what was going on with it. And if you have an infectious disease, the best way of keeping it from getting transmitted from person to person, if you have no idea how it's being transmitted, is to keep everybody away from each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a really dr- draconian thing to do, and a really you know dramatic thing mm-hmm. to do. Uh, as we've moved along, we've really uh, begun to get a lot more understanding about how this thing is transmitted. Uh, and uh, as a result, we can become a little bit more targeted and use things that are effective and not go into the total draconian thing like a lockdown. And um, it's obvious now that, you know, it's an aerosol-transmitted uh, thing that's primarily being, almost exclusively being transmitted indoors. And here in Florida, you know, we're pretty much the opposite of uh, you folks up in the north. Our time to be outside is during the winter when the weather's really nice. And uh, so people have been out playing golf and having a good time. Now it's starting to get hot and everybody's going to retreat indoors. So we're kind of on an opposite cycle from you guys up there where people stay indoors in the winter because it's cold and you need the heat. And when it starts to get nice in the summer, you'll be out and about. And there is really very little transmission out of doors. So weather plays a really big role here. And those are things we didn't know way back. I mean, here in British Columbia, we're kind of like the Florida of, of Canada. 
It's, right. It's, I know you're, 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 you're going to have like uh, 80 degree days in February like we do. <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite. No. Um, no, whatever well, 80 yeah. degrees is yeah. in, you know, in, in Celsius. Uh, yeah, well, that would be about uh, 25, 26, 27, something like that. But yeah, so. that's so we do have, and we actually never really went into full lockdown in this province. Um, we've uh-huh. always kind of played this dance uh, between a partial kind of lockdown uh, and almost complete freedom. Um, and our numbers have gone, have spiked. We've had, we've, you know, we've had the two or three waves like everybody else, and, and right. but we have not seen what we've seen in Alberta and Ontario, which it is colder in those places. So weather definitely yeah, has a yeah. part to play in it. And the other thing that I think is playing a big role here is, um, you know, we actually did see a fourth wave down here in Florida, but it was much more of a ripple than a wave, and we're on, kind of on the back end of it now, um, which pretty much is coinciding with what you guys see in time-wise up in Canada. Uh, but the one thing that's really happened here is that uh, since February and March, uh, we've had a really great uh, vaccination campaign that's been going on. And uh, Florida now has about 43 percent of its uh, population vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And um, people talk about, you know, uh, moving on to herd immunity. It's not like a switch, right? Um, it's like a forest fire. As the, as the forest fire has fewer and fewer things to burn, it slows down in its intensity. And I think that's what we're seeing in Florida now is that there are fewer susceptible people for this vaccine to, in, or for the virus to infect because they've been vaccinated. And so uh, we're seeing a slowing down in the number of cases just because we have uh, many more people who are getting vaccinated at this point. And that's first dose 43%, right? Yep, that's 43%. Are you seeing what we're hearing up here about the U.S. because there's so much further ahead on the vaccine, that first uh, vaccination, um, that the second vaccination is, is troubling. They can't get people to come and show up. They're taking their time and they're not going in and there's, you're seeing people, you're seeing these vaccination clinics across the U.S. just sitting there waiting for people to show up. Is that, a pro- is that happening in Florida? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely happening in Florida. Um, our vaccination numbers last week uh, were about averaging around 123,000 people a day. Um, back in uh, mid-March, we were averaging about 250,000 people a day. Wow. So, uh, yeah, the numbers are really down. But, you know, you can sort of expect that. If you looked at the number of people who said they really, really wanted the vaccine right away, uh, it was about 60% of our population of the adult population. And we've vaccinated about, if you, you know, discount the children, about uh, 52% of the adult population. So uh, we're getting pretty close to the people who said that they wanted it, have gotten it already, mm-hmm. and now it's time to convince the people who are kind of reluctant. Yeah, I don't really know. I want to wait, you know, those types of, sorts of people but the, uh, to really go out and get it. And the magic number we hear is 70 to 75% of the double dose to get to what we describe as immunity or herd immunity. We- yeah, um... I, that's what everybody is saying, but nobody really knows, right? Um, I think it's really interesting to look at what's going on in Israel. Mm-hmm. In Israel, they vaccinated 60% of their population. And now they're and wide open. In, um, in uh, mid-January, they were reporting about 10,000 cases a day. You know how many cases they reported yesterday? No. 43. <laughs> so <laughs> so- I think that's a pretty good evidence that, you know, Israel's probably pretty close, if not at herd immunity with 60%. And a similar kind of, you know, weather terrain or weather conditions as Florida, to be honest. I mean, it's, right. it's south and it's, it's got good weather. And a little drier, but yeah, very similar. Right. Level. One, yeah. um, one issue that we're hearing a lot of these days is the, is the um, you know, there's 93,000 people still dying of this. And mostly in, you know, you're looking at India and places that are really suffering. Do you see uh, uh, leading vaccine producing countries like, like America and the manufacturers agreeing to the voluntary licensing program? 
Um, I hope that they will because, you know, the thing is, is um, anybody uh, in the world uh, who is infected can serve as a uh, little reservoir or an incubator for a, an escape variant that could come out and get around the vaccines that we have now. So the more people we can get vaccinated around the world as quickly as possible, the less chance the virus is going to have to mutate and overcome the vaccine that we have now. So uh, it's really important that, you know, none of us are really completely protected until basically everybody on the globe is protected. Because as you see, I mean, uh, these things spread around the globe in in days or weeks, right, Uh, with the travel, no matter what you do, even with the travel bans. So we really have to look at this as a global problem at this point if we're going to really eliminate it everywhere. All right, Dr. Yunash, I really appreciate you joining me today all the way from Florida. No problem. You have a great day. You too. George Affleck for Mike Smith today and all week. Hope you're enjoying your morning on Wednesday. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know, I was in politics for a few years in the city council in Vancouver. And I one of the issues that I was very passionate about was Granville Street. Uh, if for those who haven't been to Vancouver and been to Granville Street on a Friday night in normal times, not COVID times, it is, I can't use the word, it starts with an S. It's bad. It's a show and not a good one it is bad 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 there's chaos it's 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 people drunk it's it's just madness on that street and now during uh covid the street has become even in a different way it's become uh, un- unfriendly, if I can put it a different way. My next guest has written a column in uh, in her col- in her regular column in the Orca. Uh, she's also a regular fill-in host here on CKNW and my co-host on our podcast Unspun with George Affleck and Jody Vance. Jody Vance, you're there. I am right here, George. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. It's kind of weird to have it this way. <laughs> I know. I'm digging it. I'm like listening. I'm tuned in. I think you're doing a great job filling in for Mike. And then I was like, hey, did you see my column? Because I name drop you in the column. I know. you and I talk about this. Yeah, yeah. So, so Granville Street, tell me what the column, because Sarah Kirby Young has a motion, and I imagine it's hooked to that a little bit. Sarah Kirby Young, city councillor, has a motion related to Granville Street saying for, that's coming to council next week. Somewhat similar to the motions I put in the past, but basically saying you got to close Granville down for at least for the summer and do a test and see if we can change the the mood on Granville Street, I think is the intention. And your column touches on that. You know, it really jumps off from the position of you and I. We've talked about this for years, literally years now on Unsmud Podcast and, and just talking about how that core of our city has changed. So instead of just really ranting about it, because I tend to rant. Um, This time I put it more in in the context of my life experience, you know, as a teenager growing up in a suburb, I grew up in Tawasson, we as 15 year olds would make it a destination to go to the Capital Six movie theaters down in the entertainment district. Mm -hmm. And it was an approved destination for our parents. And we didn't have cell phones. We had to like, we were trusted to get get on that bus and get out. Yeah, exactly. And we would make it more than just a movie. We would mm-hmm. go to Sam the Record Man. We would <laughs> yes. go to like the equivalent of the dog's ear. You know, we your graphic tees. Totally. Your I'm fifty <laughs> I'm fifty-three and proud of it because I got to experience Granville Street and that district at a time when it was a place for all. And now it's not. And in between times, George, I also worked in bars down there. So I know mm-hmm. You know what what it's and I've talked to people who are, you know, trying to do whatever they can to, you know, bar watch or safe ride or safe walk or all these things. You know what we we've come in my opinion and I write about my opinion on this column is we need to fix what's broken. Let's stop trying to use a bunch of band-aids here and and kudos to uh Councillor Kirby Young for putting it on the table. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should be temporary. I don't think it should be a test. I think we need to do what you've said, which is 
what we did for the Olympics. It worked. Yeah, yeah. Get the buses off there permanently. I, I, yeah. This is what I think would make it – get those – because you have the bus lines on the – so you can't have staging on Granville Street. So it's really challenging. So you can't – even if you wanted to have a big party or a New Year's Eve party on Granville Street, which is the – place it makes sense to do because that's our party street. It's um, our Times Square. It's our Times Square. It's our, what's it, you know, it's like what you have in New Orleans. It's our, so, yeah. you know, we, it, but it's not treated that way and it's not built in a way that's why the trees, they've got those weird stanchions that you park in the sidewalk. It is like these weird seats that sit backwards. I don't even understand who designed that street, but I'm sorry, it's not a good design. And then you've got this added challenge on normal times, the craziness of the, the, the 2 a.m. party crowd that comes out streaming out of the bars and the people who are not in the bars who are partying in the streets. And then there's no restaurants really that previously. And so that part of her motion and part of what I was always fighting for is just push out, bare minimum, push out the restaurants so that they can have more restaurants so, and so there's people eyes on the street and, yeah. and don't have any traffic potentially ever. And I know that's like, oh my God, don't close another street for cars. It is closed for cars. We've, we tested, we did this for the Olympics. We had it closed. The buses worked on those other streets. It works fine. If you know what, George, I, I hear here to everything you just said right there, because at the end of the day, if there is one street that we should close to traffic, mm -hmm. it is that strip of Granville between the Granville Street Bridge, at, let's say Davy Street, Drake, Drake mm -hmm. or Davy to Georgia Street. It's mm -hmm. a no-brainer to just make that the walking space. It's accessible to, for tourism, for hotels, for ways and places for people to explore our city and connect with a lot of history of our city. And you know what? You walk down there now and bless the businesses. I mean, this is not a slag against those who are trying really, really hard to revitalize that area. It's the, it's the constraints of politics that are keeping it. Like you can't have a, you can't have a seat where someone could possibly lie down. People will live there. It's like, stop pearl clutching and create a space for people to sit and gather and and enjoy and outdoor spaces are are so important right now the patios down there look like office cubicles like there are walls around them you're not allowed to even put a toe outside that why not open it up open air patios and trust people to sit at those tables and and trust that the restaurateurs can can manage and those spaces. if anything we've proven that we can with all the patios that have been built yes. throughout this pandemic we've proven that restaurants are good at managing these spaces they're creative uh and people want them people, people in vancouver want, want to sit outside and, and and enjoy a restaurant and and the fact that it actually has a benefit of adding safety because if you if you have a bunch of people sitting around at restaurants and there's live music on the street and you get rid of those lines so the buses are gone and you have stages with live music it, it there's yeah. proof uh that, that this this lowers the crime rate and, and lowers the chaos that we see that drunkenness because you know what somebody gets drunk and you're sitting there having dinner with your family hey buddy get get clean get move out of along. here you know, move along yeah. so you know. it's that european vibe george yeah. you've talked about it whether it's mm -hmm. in scandinavia or my experience has been in in uh, um spain most recently the piazzas i mean they're thriving they're brilliant they're beautiful people look out for one another and the, and that feeling of we don't need surveillance we need populace we need people to want to go there and for it to be safe to go there and right now it makes me sad that my teenager can't head down to granville street it's a no for me the way it is right now i know i lived close by and it's not a not a friendly street your 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 ideas are not that expensive i don't even think uh, counselor uh D kirby young's ideas are very expensive for the moment uh, there is a bigger yeah. plan that we could have for granville street but i think there's our quick fixes that we can do that are immediate that can transform that street right Right. 
TheOrca.ca for all of mine. Orca.ca <laughs> and listen to Unspun. And thank you, Jody. You'll be here again, I'm sure, on the station filling in for somebody Monday. soon. Monday. Oh, there we go. Monday. I'm, I'm Jill Bennett on Monday. There You're you Jill go. Bennett on Monday. <laughs> all right, Jody. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining right, me. Have a good one. Bye. You too. On Monday, we saw a dramatic example of road rage with an altercation in Maple Ridge. Two brothers ended up intentionally, intentionally ramming their vehicles into each other. The whole thing was caught on video. I mean, the video is crazy. It's just it just shows you that some people just get crazy on the roads. In the morning commute, is a, if you're seeing red, you're probably not alone. A new survey, actually, by Insurance Hotline shows that people all over Canada let road rage get the better of them. We're joined now by Anne-Marie Thomas, an insurance expert at insurancehotline.com, to talk more about the survey. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hi, how are you doing? Good. So give us it to us straight. How much rage do we have in Canada? More than I would have thought. Yeah. We're, you know, across the globe, we're known as such, you know, peaceful and polite people. But it was very interesting. Uh, the results of this survey found that uh, 95% of Canadian drivers admitted to um, having aggressive um, or road rage-like behaviors while they're behind the 95%. I mean, I, you know, I'm one of those people that gets enraged in my car sometimes, but I don't, I don't take it outside. It's sort of almost like a comedic piece sometimes. I'm just like, you know, you're sort of just taking, getting, getting rid of some energy because you're stuck in traffic or whatever. But this is, is that what is the case? Is this 95% kind of a mixture of people like me and different kinds of people? It's, it's a mixture of, uh, we surveyed um, over 1,500 Canadians. So okay. it's a, a sample of, you know, all Canadians. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing, and it was a bit contradictory, because for as much as 94% of the respondents said they had, um, you know, admitted to, you know, a, a aggressive behavior, uh, the, of the same respondents, 94% of them thought themselves to be considerate. <laughs> That seems, uh, that's, yeah. I, I mean, I think I'm the greatest driver in the world. Apparently, uh, when I ask my family, I, apparently I'm not. But uh, <laughs> I think we all have sort of, you know, our, our own vision of ourselves, perhaps. Is there a region yeah. that's worst? I mean, is, there, is BC better than other provinces or are we, are we calmer here? Well, or are we... In a couple of areas, um, let's say BC, Sean. <laughs> um, so speeding. The, the, um... Guilty. <laughs> yeah, so 82% was the average of of the respondents. So 82% of the respondents speed collectively said they sped. But when we broke it out, um, 88% of those in British Columbia admitted to speeding. Now, whether huh. they're just more honest, I'm not sure. Wow, and and how will this affect insurance rates? Because that's your game. Is this going to is this bad news when we have this kind of rage, and especially when you're talking about speeding as well? These are not good things for potential accidents, and then therefore insurance rates. Correct. Well, that's it exactly. So, you know, um, aggressive driving uh, can lead to um, collisions, but it can also lead to tickets. Um, which, you know, collisions and tickets affect what we, you know, what we all end up paying for insurance. So, you know, we can control not very much when it comes to what we pay for car insurance. 
but what we can control to a degree is our driving record. Right, of course. Right? Yeah. So don't get in know, accidents. Don't 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 have rage. Get your foot off the gas. You know. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the other findings in this survey that I found interesting and and really surprising was that three in ten drivers have actually been angry enough to think about doing something impulsive when they're driving. So, I found that statistic very high. That was I what, found that result. That was what percentage? High. So three in ten. Three in so thirty percent. So the kind of stuff mm-hmm. we heard in that clip at the top, where these guys, these brothers, uh, get out. I mean, it could escalate to that point in almost three out of ten people. That is uh, an impactful number. Maria and Maria, I want to thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. Enjoy your day. You too. Anne-Marie Thomas is an insurance expert at insurancehotline.com. So we're going to be taking calls after the break, but first we're going to have Steve Walls here. But if you want to join us in this conversation uh, and tell us what you, you know, uh, what's, what makes you rage, if you, or what's the worst rage you've ever seen on the road, what makes you rage. But first of all, we're going to join with Steve Wallace. Steve Wallace is the owner of Wallace Driving School, and he's a regular here. Steve, how's it going? Oh, I'm having a great day. Actually, took the morning off, and I'm going to go swimming at noon. <laughs> okay, where? <laughs> I got I got a 25 meter pool. So oh, nice! I'll be in, I'll be in great shape. <laughs> awesome. Get rid of your uh, rage. It's not mine. Get- it's not mine, but it's uh, it's uh, available for booking. So that, I'm, that, I'm, I'm in decent shape. That's one way and to I'm get. Not tell- I'm not telling anyone where no, it is. No, no, because we'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> we'll all end up taking up the booking time. That's one way to get rid of rage for sure, right? <laughs> uh, get your, get, do some physical exercise. But what do you yeah, see out there? You're a teacher. You teach driving. And so do you see, I mean, I can't imagine being a, I, I mean, I taught my son how to drive. I, I, I'm, you know, you have to be super patient to take, to do this and, you know, feel like you're risking your life. But do you see when you're teaching, how do you manage that? When that, when we see that, when we hear that data, that nine, you know, this 95% of people are, and three out of 10 have this uh, desire to get out of their car, potentially. How do you, what do you yeah. see when you're out there teaching people? Well, we we do have uh, a whole teaching unit on how to handle road rage. Number one, mm-hmm. I mean, we see it from time to time. Everyone's you know guilty at some point of having a bad day, whether mm-hmm. you take it out on other people or not is is another thing altogether. But the the key thing is don't get eye contact and don't engage. I mean, as far as timing is concerned, um, you got to be in control of yourself, and mm-hmm. that's the big deal. Stay in control of yourself. Stay in your car. That's where you're protected. As far as timing goes, I mean, everyone has a cell phone now. uh, And this is a a thing that the police want you to use in emergencies. Mm -hmm. If there is a road rage incident or a potential of one, you can dial 911. You can dial the police. You can dial a friend. you You can use that phone. And once the person sees that there is a communication activity they often cool off and, and they're not as as likely to assault you or, or beat up a car or whatever the key thing is people also have car alarms and if you want to draw mm-hmm. attention to yourself you can use that Push car alarm and that button. generally yep. is very abrasive to someone who's engaging mm-hmm. in road rage and if people particularly we find that a lot of people are singleton drivers and a lot of younger drivers aren't that experienced so we tell them just drive to a police station definitely don't drive home you don't want someone don't who's engaged in that activity to know where yeah. you live for heaven's sakes don't drive to work either that eye Go contact to a mall yeah. where there's lots of people totally. in that area in that milieu yeah. So be defensive in that case and don't engage. Sometimes you can do a hand gesture that says, I'm sorry, or whatever, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, you want to make sure you draw attention to the situation 
And you will be very surprised how many good Samaritans are out there in the, in the traveling public. Your point on the eye contact, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm a perfect driver, of course. But, uh, you know, maybe on occasion somebody thought I'd made a mistake. And you, and you can actually sense it when somebody is like, has road rage. And you can, you, I mean, I, I, you're not looking at that person, but you can sense you're sort of looking through the side of your eyes going, oh, that person's kind of crazy looking at me. Uh, I'm not going to make eye contact. Because that really then can escalate a person and make them go a bit cuckoo. Well, it's easier for us. I mean, the people in the driving school business, we've got signs on the car. People know it's a student driver. And I'll tell you, people in British Columbia, they're the best. They're the best in the country at accommodating learners. They know that they, mm-hmm. they all harken back to the day they learned to drive and how, how sometimes frightening or how tough it was. And so there's a lot of accommodation for us on the road. And we thank the public, and I'll thank them right now for that. You know, they see a student driver car and the person's having a little trouble. Maybe they're first time on the highway or then it's the first time on a you know, on a bridge or something like that so as a result mm-hmm. there's a lot of accommodation out there but when we run into it the fact is that you want to make sure you report it and get the plate number okay get right. something on your phone take a picture get a witness that kind of thing is invaluable to the police George Affleckin from Mike Smith and joining me is Steve Wallace, owner of Wallace Driving School. What is the worst road rage you've ever seen? What do you think of BC's drivers? We're taking your calls. We got Jason from Vancouver. Jason, go ahead. Yeah, hi. I um, uh, worst I've ever seen is someone backing their their car in into another person's driver's side and then taking off. Um, I was I was going to try to get the the license plate, but it happened too fast. I wanted to check it. You brought sound effects with you, Jason. You brought sound effects with you. Yeah, sorry, I'm on the road. <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, just about a month ago, I was heading up Hastings, and it was Hastings in Willingdon. I had a guy pull up next to me, and uh, he honked, and he, he was seemingly upset. Um, I rolled down the window, and, and he yelled at me, you know, did you honk at me? And I had no idea what he was talking about. I just smiled and said no. He looked uh, kind of confused and said sorry and moved on. So I think, obviously, you're... Yes, is right. You know, there's ways to handle things like that without engaging them. But Jason, you're, also, you're, you're you know, a professional driver, I assume? Nope. Oh, okay. So it sounds nope. like you're on the road a lot, though. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, but uh, that that just happened uh, recently. And like I said, it was pretty easy to, you know, to, to calm them down. Uh, so I agree. Don't engage. All right, thanks, Jason. Uh, Steve, yeah, that's a key, right? You know, don't con- like don't engage the eye contact thing. Uh, that that situation where somebody's sort of yelling at you and you wind down your window because you think there's a problem or something. You think, oh, wow, this person needs help or something. If you're totally clueless about what you might have done, how do you deal with that then? If you're actually you've actually engaged accidentally. Well, that happens from time to time. So suppose a person delays leaving on the green light because they're distracted or whatever they're doing, and then the person three cars back leans on the horn. (laughs) The person that is taking their time leaving thinks it's the person immediately behind them, and that's when the you know the the hand actions and so on starts. But the the key for for this whole thing is you know if you got a problem with anger then take an anger management course but i always mm-hmm. have a philosophy if it's not going to matter in four or five days what does it matter now you know if it's not going to matter next year yeah. what does it matter now so if mm-hmm. you don't engage you're you're much better off and i'll tell you right now we've gone through a period where there hasn't been much traffic on the road during covid mm-hmm. the traffic volumes were down by about half so there wasn't a whole lot of gridlock and there yeah. wasn't a whole lot of 
this stuff where you had a lot of vehicles on the road and you had to wait two light cycles or whatever to get through the intersection, that kind of thing. So it's rearing its ugly head now for yeah. a reason, and that's where back almost to normal as far as traffic volumes go. I'm a I'm one of the drivers who doesn't like getting stuck in traffic, and I'm a city driver. I don't go much out of the city, so I will do I will take longer to get somewhere just so I can keep my car moving forward uh, because just sitting in traffic <laughs> makes me a bit full of rage. It's like I can't take this. Doug Doug from Surrey. Hello, hey g- gentlemen. Um, I'm sure it's gone uh, to a worse degree than when I was riding motorcycles and lived back in Ontario. And uh, I don't know what. Uh, Steve, you teach people yeah. about merging properly, but uh, uh, the zipper, the zipper, right? I mean, Steve, yeah. have you seen have you seen things get uh, worse? Doug, thanks for the call. Steve, have you seen things get worse in your years as a teacher of uh, driving instructor? Uh, and is and is it the, what is the zipper rule? What is the merge rule? Just so everybody well, remembers. People, yeah, people have the problem. They don't differentiate between merge and yield. So if you are on the highway and a person's coming in, you have a duty to allow them space to merge. And if there is a crash, the police will show up and give 50-50 blame. Uh-huh. So uh, just because you have the road doesn't mean to say you uh, can lock somebody out. But if it's a yield sign, then totally the opposite applies. You can drive down that road, and the person has the yield side, even if they have to stop, which is not advisable. But even if they have to stop, they're the ones that have to wait for a space to, uh, to be available. And uh-huh. those are the two differences that in those signs. you got the merge sign, you got the yield sign, and they mean different things. So get to know those signs. Linda from Surrey. Oh, hi there. I just wanted to ask, Steve, uh, if you realize you've made a real boo-boo mistake, Uh-oh. what is the sign for, I'm sorry, you know, you want to let the person know that, oh, my God, I'm sorry. A lot of times it's, hand a fairly, it's, it's, it's a friendly wave. That's yeah. what it is the, the, sometimes. The steering wheel but wave. There are, there are people like... There's no perfect driver, okay? If you think there's a perfect driver, <laughs> then there's something wrong. Go, Don't go home and look in the mirror because that's not a perfect driver. <laughs> Everybody makes errors from time to time. I'm surprised so my are, family's not calling in right now to, to go after <laughs> well, me, to be honest. Yeah, there are certain times when a, 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 a movement of the hand or whatever will just say, gee, I'm sorry, and that kind of thing. Uh, so the, the communication is the big deal. Sometimes if you ignore someone who's really upset with what you may have done that enrages them even more uh and mm-hmm. so uh yeah. sometimes uh, everybody makes mistakes uh i'll tell you right now that uh the hand inflection uh the one finger salute is not what you want to do but uh <laughs> that the is opposite not, is probably that does not calm people down no, no that would that would probably calm things down right. if you did a friendly wave as opposed to the other ed from north van what are your what are your thoughts worst road rage you've ever seen yes um I was behind an F-150 and on a private street in Vancouver when a lady decided to do a K-turn right from a parking spot right across both lanes and go the opposite direction. And the gentleman in front of me had an F-150 and came within about 12 inches of T-boning her. Yeah. And he got out of the truck and went over, smashed her mirrors off, okay, and and was beaten on the side, put dents in her car, and she was scared stiff. And then he took off. And she was kind and of trapped in that situation. Like she could she get out? She couldn't get out. He was that close to her door. What do you do in that situation, Steve? What do you what do you recommend in that situation? Thanks, thanks you for calling. Make sure you you make sure your doors are locked. You get identification. and You drive to a safe place. 
but if she can't get out and she can't, she's, he's locked her in and she's just got to lock herself in the car and phone, I guess phone and hopefully that's, get where, that's, where, you, that's yeah. where you stay. You stay, stay in, your in car. the car and, and call, yep. call the police and hopefully well, get I, I'll go back to my other suggestion. The cell phone is the best thing you've got. I mean, taking a picture or uh, putting it on video, that kind of thing really has amazing, amazing kind of yeah. a weight in court. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. George Affleck in for Mike Smith in the last Mike Smith in the last hour of our show here, and in the second half of the hour we're going to be talking about big league baseball. Will Vancouver get a super fantastic, amazing big league baseball team? We'll see. John Jang will be joining me to, with his amazing research on that. But this week, you know, both Alberta and Ontario announced that they will no longer use COVID nineteen vaccine AstraZeneca for first doses. Why, you may ask. We are holding our remaining AstraZeneca supply for either those who have a contraindication to an mRNA vaccine or for second doses, recognizing that some Albertans will need a second dose beginning in early June. This means that all new first dose appointments, unless there is a contraindication, are being booked with the mRNA vaccines Pfizer and Moderna. And second clip we got here from uh, Ontario. Over the last few days, there has been increased reports of VITT, in particular related to the AstraZeneca vaccine, with a rate of 1.7 per 100,000 doses administered. In collaboration with health experts at Public Health Ontario, the Science Advisory Table, and our federal, provincial, and territorial partners, we are reviewing the data to consider options for the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine for second doses and more broadly moving forward. That was uh, first, that was Dr. Dina Hinshaw from Alberta. She was the chief medical health officer in Alberta. And the second uh, was Dr. David Williams, Ontario's chief medical expert. We'll be taking your calls uh, on AstraZeneca after the break. Um, we'll, the number will be 604-280-9898. But let's talk AstraZeneca with a sci- about AstraZeneca with a scientist that can actually lay out the risks for us first. Jason Tetro is a microbiologist with a specialty in studying emergent pathogens like COVID-19. And he's host, of course, of Super Awesome Science Show. And he joins me now. Jason, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. So what is going on? Why is this happening everywhere? Even like Norway, Denmark, it's happening everywhere. Everybody's mm-hmm. freaking out about AstraZeneca. Why, why, why? Well, okay. So first off, what you need to know is that we have these rare diseases. Some of them are autoimmunities. And sometimes uh, these involve clotting of the blood, especially when you are treated with something like a heparin. And so what's happening is that something in the AstraZeneca and also the Johnson & Johnson vaccine kind of mimics what heparin is doing. And that leads to the development of clots only in the people who have that autoimmunity, not anybody else. It's about one in 250,000 overall. But in places where you may have different genetic backgrounds, it may be higher. And in some places, it may be completely, you know, nothing. So that's what's going on. The problem is the only way to find out is to have a test. 
And you have to have a blood test to be able to figure out whether or not you are at risk of having this. And not very many people have, unless you've had mm. clots or you've had heparin, you wouldn't know. And so that's one of the reasons why this particular um, concern for a safety signal um, has become so uh, discussed over the last little while. So, and in, in, in the decisions in Ontario and Alberta were different. They, were, they weren't quite the same reasoning. Mm-hmm. What, what was the difference? Well, it really comes down to supply chain. Uh, and I'm going to get away from the clotting for a second sure. and let you know that AstraZeneca is having a really, really tough time with the European Union right now with yeah. legal battles. Oh, and okay. as a result of that, the mm. supply that's coming to Canada has been pretty much turned off. The tap of AstraZeneca coming to us is off. India, which also supplies us, has also turned their taps off because, I don't know if you've heard or not, India is having a really hard time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes right down to it, while we might talk about clotting in Ontario for Alberta, it's really a supply chain issue. And so the hmm. idea is we don't know when we're going to be able to get the next million. It could be June, could be July, could be October, who knows? And so as a result, the best thing to do right now is to hold on to what we've got for second doses and wait for the ComCove study out of the UK to find out whether we can do what's known as heterologous prime boosting, <laughs> but most of us call mix and matching. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. The, what, what about all the, the Americans are sitting on a whole stockpile? Or the, that's what I've heard, like 60 million doses of AstraZeneca that they could just give to us, couldn't they? Like they did last time? Well, I mean, there is a possibility of doing that. The the big issue is, do we want it? And so that's really the big problem that we're facing is that while AstraZeneca is significantly cheaper than the mRNA vaccines, its supply is really not all that um, um, stable, if you will. Not to mention, there's also this place called Emergent, which is out in the Northeast, which everyone's probably heard about as being the place where you Mm -hmm. don't want to make a vaccine. And that's, of course, where Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca were made. So rather than going that route, it's probably better to pay a little bit more for the mRNAs because we know that they're going to be stable, they're going to be consistent, and we can get everybody vaccinated uh, with those by the time the summer is over. So you're not worried about that process. I mean, it doesn't. While it would have been great to get millions and millions of AstraZeneca, uh, with all this public relations nightmare and potential medical complications, mm-hmm. uh, it's just. I mean, how much delay are we talking about when we're? Because you look at England; it's at seventy-five percent because they've just been yeah. using AstraZeneca there. That's pretty much the only one they're using. Um, and we could have been there. Oh, yeah. Could we? I mean, could we be further along if we were more open to it? Well, I mean, unfortunately, America first and UK first policies mm-hmm. really got in our way of being able to do this. Uh, you know, but if we even back in January when we were first having the vaccines, I was all over the, the whole idea of AstraZeneca. And I was thinking, you know, that could take the 18 to 55s and then mm-hmm. we could use the mRNAs for the 55s and over. But unfortunately, these issues, both with, um, you know, supply, raw materials and legal challenges have really gotten in the way of us being able to do that. In terms of how much is that going to hurt us in t- uh, for getting to the end of the pandemic? Well, I basically said it's going to be around the middle of August. But because of this, I'm now saying eh, it might be like August 29th instead of August 11th. So about <laughs> three weeks difference. Okay. People are putting money on that right now, I imagine, Jason. Oh, what? you have no idea. Literally, <laughs> there are people who are just like holding. <laughs> You mentioned earlier about the blood, taking a blood test. Now, so how complicated would that be if I said, you know, let's let, if the government would say, let's just go full on. We've got a ton of AstraZeneca that we can get our hands mm-hmm. on right tomorrow. Uh, okay, 500,000 people go get your blood test to make sure that you, is that possible? Is that a, even logistically possible? 
I, I think right now, if you were to have all of a sudden a ton of doses and you wanted to be able to go get that test, it could be done. But I think you want to target the population based on who's been showing up. And it really has been women between the ages of uh, 30 and, and 55. So those ones, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men, it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. One thing that I would stress, however, and this is a big problem that we've heard in Alberta, is if someone does come to your emergency room and says, I had AstraZeneca somewhere between 6 and 21 days ago, and they have a massive blinding headache, you take them in and you do the blood test. Mm-hmm. You don't turn them away. Because if you turn them away, then you might actually be contributing to not only that person having a more difficult problem, but also for the anti-vaccine, uh, anti-vaccine movement who are simply going to say, right. you see, you're doling out something that's unsafe. Yeah, you're, you're putting microchips in that person from Bill Gates. What, what is the, I mean, that's the challenge is, the, is that uh, how do we get to a to success? And, and what, actually, you brought up a point about countries being somewhat selfish, which is goes against certain accords that we have with the Euro- European Union, America saying, you know, us first, or Britain saying us first. Um, how does that affect it in the long run? It just makes us go, you know what, we should have made this stuff ourselves. Well, that's really where the question now lies, is should we have invested the money to be able to make our own manufacturing capabilities here in Canada? Uh, I mean, the answer is yes, but when we start looking at the run on the raw materials, Um, basically what's been happening with some of the vaccines is exactly what happened to us with toilet paper. So we may not have actually gotten any further. It's just we wouldn't have had to worry about something coming from Poor's Belgium uh, as opposed to Kalamazoo, uh, Michigan. Uh, We may still have run into the problems, though. What are the what are the so, the chemicals that we're missing that they're hard to get hand hand, hand of? Oh well, yes. Yeah, so the 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 fermentation or the production of the mRNA is definitely one that is a limiting factor. But also, uh, you have to realize that you have to feed the the bacteria or the other types of, um, uh, of of cells that need the food to be able to produce the mRNA. And of course, there are also the lipid nanoparticles. I mean. Um, it comes from British Columbia uh, down on Arbutus Street. That's basically the home of where this all comes from. But at the end of the day, they're not the ones making the raw materials. <laughs> so that's really what it comes down to. Supply chain so management is, so is, far. is troublesome. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's so um, complicated. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if, if you run out of raw supplies, you're not going to have a finished product, no matter where you're making it. All right, Jason, you're going to stay with us for, to come, come back after the break, and we'll talk to take some calls? Yep. Cool. George Affleck in for Mike Smith today. We're taking your calls. Got concerns about risks associated with AstraZeneca, questions about vaccines, questions about COVID. Jason Tetro is staying here to take your calls with me. 604-280-9898. And we have Chanel from Richmond. Chanel, question. Hi. Hey. Um, how are you? Good. Go ahead. Um, so, yeah, so I have a question. Everybody's talking about the second dose of vaccine, and they're all saying AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer, that they're different from the first are they changed in some way or are they exactly as the first one good question go ahead jason yeah so if you get the same uh, vaccine as you had the first time so a pfizer and a pfizer then it's exactly the same we're right now trying to find out whether you can have uh, an astrazeneca and then a pfizer afterwards and and also if you could get a pfizer and then astrazeneca afterwards but we're not going to do that here in canada uh we're going to find that out probably in about a week or two uh the the trials are being done now in the mice 
um, which isn't necessarily the best model. We can actually say it works, but uh, I'd still rather wait for the clinical trials before we do any of the mixing and matching. The clinical trials are, are happening then. So what kind of, you think that will be announced in two weeks and then be possible right away or what's going to happen? What's yeah, the timeline for we, that? Once once we start seeing the data, um, I think it's going to be fairly easy for us to be able to determine whether we can go ahead with it or not. Um, as I said, in, in the mice, it looks promising. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, using an animal model is not necessarily the best approach. So let's just give the ComCov uh, mm-hmm. in the UK some time. We'll hear about it, and then we'll be able to make decisions after that. Okay. Thanks, Chanel. Dan from Richmond. Hi there. I was just wondering what his uh, guest uh, thoughts on one of the top vaccine supporters in the world, Dr. Von der Bosch, is very concerned that these vaccine, vaccines target specific areas of our immune system, boost them, mm. but leaves the rest of our immune system vulnerable to other hmm. issues. So side, side effects and side benefits, potentially. Have you heard about that, Jason? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, I mean, scientifically, we call it the old TLR4, TLR7, TLR8 uh, um, problem. Uh, it happens in all cases when you're having a vaccination or when you're having some kind of infection. I mean, measles will actually destroy your ability to have an immune system response to other viruses for several years, so you won't have any memory. So these are the types of things that we're looking at. And it looks like a vaccine does take up the attention. It's kind of like watching, you know, uh, the, remember old TV where you had like a television and then you had picture in picture? Yeah. Well, the, the whole idea is that when you get the mRNA vaccine, it re- eliminates the picture in picture. So if you get infected with something else, it may actually end up being a little bit worse than if you hadn't had the vaccine. But at the end of the day, you're still going to yeah. have the protection against the COVID. Exactly. Thanks, Dan. Darren in Surrey. Darren. Hello, Darren. Hello. Yeah. How's it going? Hello. Go ahead. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm getting my uh, first shot today. What would the odds be to have the other two instead of the first the first wave that went through? Is it going to be a Pfizer or that kind of thing? What, what's or, your shot today then, Darren? It, it's my first shot. Do yeah. you know what it is, though? Is it AstraZeneca or is it? They wouldn't tell me. Oh, okay. Hmm. Oh, yes. I mean, that, that, that's always fun. Uh, yeah. Find out what it is. And then after you find out what it is, just plan on getting that one the next time. Uh, we'll find out, like I said, in a few weeks whether you can do the mixing and matching. But for now, uh, just assume that whatever you've got right now is going to be the one that you have, uh, you know, three months down the road. I found when you get the shot, and I had the AstraZeneca at the pharmacy, they were very helpful in explaining the process and what would happen next mm-hmm. and what the possibilities were. They talked about the app and all those things. So hopefully uh, Darren will get some guidance from when, when he gets the shot and when he leaves, he'll get some information about what happens next. But definitely here in BC, oh, yeah. sign up for the app and that will help you know what you'll get next because it actually does it, the work for you. James in Porquillum. Mm-hmm. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to read about some, something you said earlier, that, that anyone who has questions about vaccines or their safety or their efficacy is an anti-vaxxer. I think that really puts a lot of people that are thoughtful and do their own research into a, a bad position. Like, we all believe there's going to be microchips implanted in us. I think that's really trying to make us, it's, it's meant to sideline a, a, a big group of people into the lunatic fringe. And even yesterday when you were talking about vaccine passports and why would anyone object to a vaccine passport? George, like, why wouldn't you object to a passport that makes people that are unsure about putting an injection in their body into second-class citizens? 
All right, James. Obviously, there's <laughs> touched a nerve there mm-hmm. with James, but you know, I think that uh, there, yeah, they're, they're, we have to be careful about not being too conspiratorial about conspiracy theories as well. I suppose. No, I mean, I, and that, that's the thing, right? Is that the majority of people who have um, questions, uh, they they have a question, and usually it's very easy for to answer. Where it becomes conspiratorial, as opposed to just simply someone asking, is when you provide them with the mechanism, and they're like, "Oh, I don't believe that." That's when you start having any problems. Right. And by the way, if you look at IATA, which is the Air Transportation Authority, they're already working with what's called the Safe Pass. So it's not a passport that shows that you're immune. It shows that you do not have COVID. So it could be a test. It could be a vaccine. It could be a whole number of different things. And also remember, in order to get into a number of countries in this world, you have to show that you've been right. vaccinated. You have to show you got a needle in your arm or else you cannot visit them. So yeah. this is not new. This is not new. And and I think the the bigger issue for a lot of people is the within the country and what they're going to be doing, like going to rock concerts and stuff like that and asking for information about that. And I think people seem to have more of a problem with that idea than, mm-hmm. uh, than anything else. Uh, we're out of time. Jason, thanks very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Jason Tetro. It was micro- a pleasure. It was great. Go. Well, I'm, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon.